We are in a brand new series that we're calling The Signature of God, and we're going to jump into that in a moment, but there's two things, big things that I want to let you know about, kind of give you the advance notice, if you will, and that is four Sundays from today, four days, four, four weeks from today, we are kicking off our annual At The Movies series. Come on, At The Movies 2021, beginning November the 7th, and if you don't know what At The Movies is, um, let me just give you a little snippet. So... Uh, what Jesus would do is he would often tell parables. And a parable was a make-believe story that Jesus would tell to help get a point across. And what we do with At The Movies is we kind of partner with Hollywood and their make-believe stories. Some of them are true. But we, we take, their, we take the, the, the power and the filming of, of Hollywood and we combine it with messages. And we give you movie clips and messages, movie clips and messages to help people come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it is one of the most powerful and popular series we do all year long. And I'm telling you about it now, four weeks out so that you can be thinking about who you want to invite. Who do you want to bring with you to At The Movies? Because it is, I think, one of the best opportunities for you to have someone far from God sitting next to you in church. And isn't that what it's all about, is, is reaching more people for the, for the cause of Christ? So that's four weeks from today, and we'll, we'll tell you more about that as we get closer. But the second thing I want to mention is that nine weeks from today, nine weeks from today, we're doing our annual legacy offering, everybody. This is... This is huge for us because we only do one special offering a year. That's all. And you guys know if you come to City Hope often, you know we, we barely even talk about money. But we're going to do, this is what we love to do is we, we want to leave a legacy. And we are able to do that through the legacy offering where we give a lot of that away outside of the walls of the church. And we tell you about it nine weeks in advance so that uh, you don't give under comp compulsion or pressure. We just don't believe in that here at church. We believe that you ought to give what has been decided in your heart. And so right now, just begin to pray and plan and prepare. And then three weeks from today, I'll tell you a little bit more about what we're doing this year for Legacy. And I'm telling you, it's going to be awesome. All right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to crank your tractor. Is it, all right? Is, is, that, is that something you say here in Wichita Falls? We, we said that back in the southeast, you know, back in Tennessee. Crank your tractor. So, all right, now we are going to jump into the message today. It's uh, a, part one of a four-part series we're calling The Signature of God. And I want to start right with our, our theme verse, which is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse, verse 10. And it says this, you can follow along in your notes and online on the screen here, that we are God's, everybody say this word, masterpiece. We are his masterpiece. Now, when you see that word, I want you to think of God as a master creator, a master designer, a master artiste, right? That's what he is, and he's creating in us a masterpiece. Think, think about it a different way, that, that when, when you come to, to know Jesus, like, like he, for all of your life, let me say it this way, all of your life, he's had a plan for what the portrait of your life is supposed to look like. And some of us aren't quite living that portrait out just yet, all right? And that's because he's working on us to make us the masterpiece that he's always wanted us to be. And it says that he created us anew, all right? When you give your life to God, he doesn't just, he doesn't just, uh, some people think that when you get saved, like he, he has some sanding to do, you know, he's got a little work to do on you to get you, get you pretty, you know, just kind of pretty up a little bit. Some of us think that when we give our lives to God, that he's got to put a, coat of kills on us you know what I mean just kind of do away with all the ugly stuff 
But the truth is, when you give your life to God, he doesn't improve you. He gives you a new you. A, a new you, not just a new and improved, a new you. And so why, why, does, why are we a new in Christ? Why are we a masterpiece? It's so that we can do the good things that he planned for us a long, long time ago. So before you were ever born, God had a plan for your life. And he created you to be a masterpiece. Do you believe that today? I believe that. I really do. So I got a confession, though, and that is that I am not, I'm not an art expert. You probably could look at me and figure that out. I'm not a, you wouldn't want to go to an art museum with me. Because if we, went, if, we, if we went, we'd walk in and I'd say, well, that's cool. Hey, let's go get some lunch. <laughs> right? I mean, I'm just, that's, that's not me. Now, we do have a famous artist in our family uh, who's uh, deceased. But on Annalise's side of the family, um, she, they had, they had a, a family member who was born in 1908 in Romania he, he studied and grew up kind of in France, fled Stalinism there, and then ended up in Cuba under communism, and his name is Sandu Dari, and he, he was a famous artist, Romanian artist, and we've got, we don't have hardly any pictures or artwork in our house, but we have two of his watercolors that are really just beautiful, and so I'm not an art expert, but I do know this, that every artist has their own signature style, Right? Every artist has their own, it's their own signature. So you think about Rembrandt, or um, you, think, you think about Monet, or Picasso. You know it's Picasso if the eyes don't match, right? They just <laughs> think about uh, uh, Michelangelo, all of these different artists that you've probably heard of. Um, da Vinci, right? Each one of them, each one of them have a unique signature to their paintings. And listen, so does God. God has a signature for your life. There's certain brush strokes that when you see it, you go, oh, that could only be God. That's, that could only be the work of God in somebody's life. And so in this series, what we want to do is just kind of remind you that you are a one-of-a-kind masterpiece, that God's created you. But normally our messages are geared towards felt needs, things that we're going through, things that are, you know, maybe a topic or an issue that is pertinent to life right now. But in this series, I want to dive a little bit deeper and I want, to give you, I want to give you some theology. I want to give you some, some doctrine. There's going to be a lot of scripture in this, so you're, you're going to have a lot of scripture in your notes. But I want to start today by giving you um, the first brushstroke, okay? Let's call it that. When we talk about the signature of God, I'm going to give you four signatures through this series. And the first signature of God, the brushstroke of God, is transformation. And we're going to talk about how he works transformation in our lives. Three truths that I'm going to give you, and then three applications that I'll give you as well. But you need to know this. You need to, you need to know that when God comes into your life, he does not improve you. He changes you. And he means business. He, he, wants, he wants transformation to take place in your life. And that's a big difference between, between, um, between conformity and transformity. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, talking, I'm not talking about religion. Religion wants you to conform to be like them, but a relationship with God wants you to transform. Okay? And that's the first thing I want to get to today is that the gospel means change. Now, I know that the gospel literally means the good news, but when you give your life to the gospel, when God begins to work in you, when you surrender to the, to the call of Christ, to, to the, a relationship with Jesus, it means there's going to be some change along the way right? 
And so here, here's the thing about, about com, uh, conforming and transforming, is, is that all other religions on the earth, they want you to conform to something. They want you to dress a certain way, act a certain way, pray a certain way. It's all about your out, outside appearance. For most religions, you can tell that a person is that religion by the way they look, right? I mean, you can look at them and go, oh, they, they belong to this religion or that religion. But think about this. You can't look at a person, you can't look at a person and determine whether or not they're a Christian by their outward appearance. Because why? God's not concerned about the outward appearance. He's looking at what? The heart. <laughs> That's what he said about David. I'm, the, the Lord, I'm looking at the heart. So G, Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, that if you are in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, you're a new creation. So God's not just improving you. He's not slapping some paint over an existing piece of art. No, he's, he, it's a new creation. And we could say it this way, it's a metamorphosis. This is not the exact word where we, or phrase where we get the word metamorphosis, but it's very similar. And what it means is something that's been unused, something that's never been seen or done before. And when God comes into your life, he wants there to be a transformation, like going from an old, nasty, ugly, dirty, prickly, squishy caterpillar to a beautiful butterfly. How do you, how do, you do that? Right? How does that happen? It's a transformation, and God wants that in all of us. He wants that to happen. Now, um, let me show you this idea of transformation in, in story form, okay? This is John 3, and this is, you remember, everybody knows John 3, 16. Many of you know that. This is before that in verses 1 through 6, and it says that there was a man named Nicodemus, um, a Jewish religious leader, okay? So Jesus could look at Nicodemus and know, oh, he's a religious leader. How? Outward appearance. I mean, the Jewish religious leaders of that time, they wore these, these big robes and they had these, these shawls with tassels on them and, and, the, and the robe kind of told their story, told who they were, how many degrees they had, all their, all their life story, the, the heritage of their, where they came from, their tribes, all of this. And they wore phylacteries on their forehead. A phylactery was this box that they, they wore and the bigger your box, the more scripture you memorized. And so they loved the song, I like big boxes and I cannot lie. One of their favorites. It's great. They loved it. Just kidding. Uh, uh, just felt like that was a good time to laugh, right? So they, they're wearing, they're, they've got the religious thing going on. And, and so Jesus knows Nicodemus is, he's religious by the way he looks. But look what happens. Nicodemus comes to him after dark why, why would Nicodemus come to Jesus after dark unless he wanted to know more Jesus tell, tell me more like I want to Jesus I want to be transformed I want what you have I want I want to be different I don't want to do some of the things that I'm doing but I, I don't want my friends to know about it and see some of some of you are like Nicodemus this morning that you've been coming in here week after week, month after month, you've been coming in the same way, and you've been leaving the same way. And I'm just here today to say, why, why, why not leave different today? Why not, why not leave different? And um, some of you, you're, you're in the altar call or the response time at the end of the message, and you're, you're thinking, man, I want to I lift my hand. I want to I surrender to God, but, 
Man, what will my friends think? What will people say? Maybe there's some young ladies here today, and you're, you're thinking, man, I, I, I want to serve God, but, but do I have to tell my boyfriend that we, we, we can't do some of the things we've been doing? Yeah, yeah, that would be a good idea. In fact, go ahead and tell your boyfriend right now that you've got another man in your life, and his name is Jesus, right? Just text him right now, and he's going to be like, who's Jesus? <laughs> who's this guy? Right? So, John, Jesus and John are having this conversation. And uh, verse, verse 2 continues here. Nicodemus, rather, not John. Nicodemus says, Rabbi, we know that, you, we know that God sent you here to teach us. And, and your, ev- like your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Like, we know that you're here. In verse 3, he says, Jesus replies and tells him, I, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again. You cannot see the kingdom of God. And so in other words, what, what Jesus is telling Nico is that unless you are transformed, unless there's a change that happens inside of you, not just that you believe in me, but there's a, you're born again, there's, there's something different on the inside of you, you can't see the kingdom of God. And some of you are like that today. You, you're, you know the teachings of Jesus. You can quote scripture. You come to church every weekend, but your life looks the same today as it did 15 years ago, 20 years ago, a year ago. And I believe that God's calling us to a transformation. Jesus says, unless you're transformed. So if you're not changed, can I just, I'm, I'm, this, this one might be in your face a little bit. If you're not being changed, then you might not have received the right gospel. If your life isn't being changed. And that... It may be hard to receive, but it's the truth. He goes on. Verse 4, Nico says, well, what, what do you mean? How, how, how is that possible, Jesus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb to be born again? And Jesus responds, I assure you that no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. So uh, to be born of the Spirit means that you have a new life in Christ that you surrendered your life, that you identified Jesus is the Messiah. He is my King. He is my Lord. I give my life to Him. It's a, it's a moment of salvation, right? But to be born of water, many people believe, is to be water baptized. And so many of you, you've been born of the Spirit, but you haven't taken the next step to be water baptized. And, and, and month after month, we do, we do uh, baptism on the first Sunday of every month. Month after month, you say... Ah, oh, man, I'm thinking about doing it. Maybe, no, no. Listen, just go ahead and do it. Just go ahead and take that step of faith. And, and then in verse 6, Jesus says, humans can reproduce only human life. So he's not ta- talking about being born again physically. He says, but the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, gives birth to spiritual life. This is when God's Spirit bears witness with our spirit, and we are made new. It's what Paul's talking about. We're a new creation. Is this helping? Is it making sense? Okay. So the gospel means change. So to let God in our lives means that we let him work the brush strokes of transformation. We just let him, we let him work the signature of transformation in our lives. All right? So the gospel means change. Number two, we've got to realize, this is the a truth, that God loves us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. 
He loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay the way you are. And see, um, in the American gospel, we have two really popular uh, gospels that are going on. And, and one of them is grace. It's the grace gospel. It's, oh, God loves you as you are. You don't have to change. It's grace. Oh, thank God for the grace. This, oh, yeah. Oh, Oh, yeah, and because God loves you that way, we love you that way, too. You don't have to change. You don't have to grow. You don't have to be transformed. It's just grace, 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 grace. Hallelujah, grace. Grace. Praise his name, grace. And then on the other side of that is this group of people who are happy to point their finger in your face and tell you, you are wicked, lazy, evil. You're going to burn and rot in hell. You better turn or you're going to burn. Glory to God. And... Here's the problem. It's, I'm going to say something that might, might shock some of you. It's not an either or. It's a both and. It's a God loves you as you are, but doesn't want you to stay as you are. It's called grace and truth. Jesus said it this way. It was said about Jesus this way in John chapter 1 that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, among people. That we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son, that's Jesus, who came from the father full of anger and hatred towards the world because they were so ungodly. Y'all going to hell in a handbasket. He came from the father full of, you don't have to change. It's all rainbows and butterflies. No, he came full of grace truth grace grace is i love you as you are truth is i don't want you to stay as you are Am I, is this helping like so i love you just the way you are grace i don't want you to stay the way you are truth and that goes for every single one of us no one's exempt from that so the way i like to say it is grace is what attracts Grace attracts people to God. They go, oh, I, I always thought God hated me. I always thought God wanted to send me to hell. And then we discover that God's not really like that. But then the truth comes along and unravels us to believe and understand that we have to, there's a transformation that needs to take place in us. That we can't stay the same. That there's something God wants to do in us. I'll say it a different way. That grace invites us to be free, but it's the truth that sets us free. The truth of Jesus that makes us free. That's, that's good preaching. So, <laughs> and I, I know this is a little confrontational. I know that's not my normal, my normally my style. We we talk a lot about grace here at City Hope because we're we're concerned about the lost people of of the world. We want to see people saved and set free. But it, I also have to. I, I got to give you the whole gospel, everybody. And there's a, the, you know, we got to change. There's some transformation that's supposed to happen in us. And what is that? It is that, that God loves us too much to leave us the way we are. He wants, us, he wants to work in us a brushstroke of transformation. He wants to make us the masterpiece that he always intended us to be. The masterpiece that so many of us, we can't even see it ourselves. So the gospel means change. The second truth is that God loves you too much to leave you the way he found you. And then the third truth I want to give you is that if I'm not changing, buckle up on this one. I'm, I might not really know God. Just go ahead and, uh, like, think about that. If I'm not being transformed, 
then I might not really know God. If, if, I'm, if my life isn't being transformed by his goodness. And I use the word might not because I don't know. I'm not God. Uh, I can't judge you. But there is a Holy Spirit who will lead you and he'll guide you. He'll convict you. He'll direct your steps, and you've got to be open to him. So I, I'm, I can't judge you, but what I can do is give you clear scripture that will, that will get in our face a little bit, okay? The Bible says in 1 John, here's the clear part of it, that if we, if, if, I'm just reading this, so don't be mad at me, okay? That if you claim to have fellowship with him, but you keep on walking in darkness, we lie. And the truth does not live in, in us. We don't live out the truth. If we say we have fellowship with him, but we keep walking in darkness. On the other hand, though, look at this. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light. Reminds me of the old DC Talk song. I want to be in the light as you are in the light. I want to shine like the stars in the heaven. Oh, Lord, be my light. So I want to be in the light. I want to walk in the light. As he is in the light, when we do that, we have fellowship with one another. Look at that. When, what is that? It's a small group. It's when you get in fellowship with one another, you now have fellowship. You now have accountability with God and with people. It's why it's so important to take off the mask and just get real about what's going on in your life. And when you do that, the blood of Jesus, his son, is going to purify us from all of our sins. And I don't know about you, but I, I want that. I want to be pure. I want to be holy. I make my heart, make my hands pure and holy for your glory. So he keeps going in verse 8. And he says that if we claim to be without sin, if we claim that we don't have sin, no, no, I don't, I don't have any sin issues. I don't have any issues. You deceive yourself. And, and the thing about deception is you don't know you're deceived. That's, that's what deception is all about. You have no idea that you're walking in deception. If, if you say, I don't, have, I don't have sin, I'm good, your accountability partner would be like, man, have you you've been struggling lately? Not for 25 years, not ever. I'm, I'm good, I'm clean. And then uh, there's no truth in you, right? Verse 9 says this, though, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. That's the good news right there. And so God's not, listen, he knows we're going to sin. So I'm not up here trying to beat us over the head today because, hey, I'm a sinner too. I got issues too. But what, what I'm trying to help us see is that God, God knows we're going to sin. He's not looking for perfection. He's not looking for you to cross your T's and dot your I's. What he's looking for is somebody who goes, God, I know this is wrong. I don't want to keep doing this. God, I want to be free. Lord, I want to be transformed. Lord, I want to be changed. Because someone who acts like they've got it all together and they have no sin issues, he can't help them. He can only help the person who goes, God, this is not what I want in my life. And he'll forgive you from all of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You know, I've, I've been saved for a long time, but still to this day, there are things in my life that I know, <laughs> I know they're not right. But I keep on doing them. And here's the thing. Here's the difference. For the last 26 years, God's been working the brush stroke of transformation in my life and creating in me a clean heart in his sight. 
and renewing a steadfast spirit in, within me, that he's just working inside of me. And there are things, little by little, that begin to fall off of my life as he works the brushstroke of transformation. I wish it was an instantaneous thing that when you got saved, all your problems go away. But it doesn't happen like that. We've got to let God transform us into his image. Now, keep going. Um, if we claim we haven't sinned, we call God a liar. That's pretty strong language. Okay, God, you don't know what you're talking about, man. I, I, don't, I haven't sinned. I'm good. I'm good. Jesus. We claim we haven't sinned. We make him to be a liar. His word's not in us. Verse 11 says, I'm sorry, this is 1 John 2 now. This is same same guy writing just a chapter later. He's still talking about it. He says that whoever says, I know him, like Buddy the Elf, I know him. I know Jesus. He's great. But then you don't do what he commands. The truth is not in that person. So how, how can we say we know him and we love him, and we, but we're not, we're not living for him? Verse 5 says that if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. So when you're walking in obedience to him, it, it's a demonstration that you love him. So you could reverse that and say that the key ingredient then is to love God. It's to love God. And this is how we know that we're in him, that whoever claims to live in him, we've got to live as Jesus lived. We've got to do what Jesus did. Verse 6 says, uh, Chapter 5, verse 3, he's still writing about it. He says, in fact, this is the love for God. That when we love God, it's evident in the way we live. It's evident in we keep his commands. And his commands, by the way, aren't burdensome. His commands aren't something you have to do. It's something you get to do. Come on, it's something that you wake up in the morning and you're like, God, I just, I love you so much. I just, I just, I want to serve you. I want to live for you. That's love for God. And it, it comes through in I want to obey you now. I want, to, I want to live my life for you now. So how do we know that we're in love with him? It's because we're, we're being transformed. Can I just tell you, when I first got saved, there were things I didn't want to do. There were parts of the Christian walk. I, I didn't want that. I was having too much fun, right? When, when I got saved when I was 14. And I had been to church every every. All my life, from the time I was born, we were in the church every chance the doors were open. I mean, you're talking uh, Sunday school, Sunday morning service, come back for Sunday night service. We, if we were having a revival meeting, we were there. Wednesday nights, we were there. If there was a prayer meeting, you want to know where I was on, on, on December 31st, the year 1999, when the world was about to come to an end because of Y2K? We were in a prayer service at church because if you're going to die, you might as well die in church, right? Just, that's what, we were there all the time. And I didn't know God. I had no idea. I, I grew up in church. I, I knew Bible. I could quote scripture, but I didn't know. I didn't have a relationship with God. And when, when I got saved at 14, I, God began to work in my life. And, and all of a sudden, he, he made me new. There were, there were desires in me that were not there before I got saved. There were things in me that I didn't want to, like, I didn't want to do before, but now I, I wanted to. So I got saved. And, and there were some friends in my life that I loved them, and I would invite them to church, but I realized pretty quick, I can't keep hanging out with this same group of people. It's going to pull me down. And there were some places that I couldn't go anymore 
because it would pull me down. There were some, there were some things that I couldn't do anymore. There were, there were things that God was working inside of me, and I was, I was nice and, and kind to everybody around me, but I just had, I had to let God work inside of me, and there were some things I had to do differently. What did I have to do? Uh, and I'm not perfect, by the way. I told you, I still struggle. I have, I have issues, just like we all have issues. But God worked transformation inside of me. He took the brush, the gospel, the spirit of God, and he just began to work inside of me his transforming power. And he wants to do the same for you, by the way. He wants to work inside of you and make you different. He wants to make you new, make you the masterpiece that he's called you to be. So let me show you how. How do we do this? How do we let God transform us? I'm going to give you three things. Okay, number one, we've got to get past who we were and focus on who God wants us to be. Get past who we were. Think about somebody like, like the people that God used in the Bible. God used people who were jacked up, messed up people in the Bible. And he used them to do incredible things. Think about Moses, a murderer. Yet God calls him out of the wilderness to come back to Egypt and lead the people of, of God out of Egypt. Think about Saul in the New Testament. Saul was, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, and he was overseeing the execution of Christians. So you, you, he, he's, a, he's, an, he's not an innocent bystander. No, he is, he's an accomplice to what's going on. He's a murderer himself, giving his approval to all that's going on. And yet God chooses this guy, chooses Saul, to, to plant churches all across the world and write two-thirds of the New Testament. Here's what I'm trying to get across to you. That Paul, when he wrote, he realized who he was. In Romans 1.1, he didn't say, Paul, the former murderer. No, he said, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Paul called to be an apostle and set apart. God chose me to do this work. And then he goes on in Colossians and he says this, that you used to walk in these ways, and this is where some of you are stuck. You're stuck in the used to. You're stuck in what you used to be like and how things used to be. You're stuck in your past. You're stuck in old relationships. You're stuck in the former things of life. But Paul says, but now. So you need to go from used to to but now. This is who I am in Christ. But now I'm a new creation. But now God is working in me. But now his life is being lived inside of me. And I'm not the same as I used to be. Amen? So we've got to get past who we were and focus on who we're supposed to become. That's what Paul did. He shows us. I'm not focused on what I used to be. I'm focused on who I'm supposed to be. Who, who God wants me to become. All right? The second thing is that we've got to give God permission to change everything. This is a hard one. Give him permission to change every part of your life. I wish that he would, he would just snap his fingers and we would change and there would, wouldn't be any more issues, right? That would, that would make it easy for all of us, wouldn't it? But he gives us this free will. And the Bible actually says that what he's doing right now is he's He's standing. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. And if anyone will hear me and open the door for me, I'll come in and I'll eat with you. I'll come in and I'll have fellowship with you. And so in a very real and spiritual way today, Jesus is knocking at your door. But you have to open the door for him. 
So I want to just get real with you for a second. Isn't it about time that you open the door for him? I mean, isn't it about time that you just let him come on in? Is, isn't it about time that you stop living in the past? Isn't it about time that you stop holding on to the grudges and the hurts? Let me ask it this way. Are you seriously going to keep living in addiction for another year? Are you, are you going to keep living in the hurts and the hang-ups and the habits for another year? Rejecting the knock at the door. I know, I, know that's, I know that's hard to think about, but I feel like I can't, I can't stand up here week after week and preach to you and never tell you this. You've got, we've got to hear this. We've got to hear that there's a transformation that God wants in us. So what do we do, Pastor Ben? I mean, how, how do we let God in? Here's how. You've got to let God have access to the entire canvas of your life. No part of your canvas can be off limits to God. Oh God, you, you can paint up here in this corner, but I'd really like it if you just leave the rest of my life alone. Here's, here's the way I like to say it, is that if, if God's not the top of your list, then he's not on your list. And if God's just in a little corner of your canvas, he may not be on your canvas. He wants access to everything. We've got to say, God, you can have it all. Make my heart, make my hands, Pure and holy for your glory. Make all of me. I want more of you, less of me in my life. I want to be changed and transformed. God, do in me what only you can do. And he goes on in Galatians. Paul tells the Galatian church. He's writing to the Galatian people, the local church. And he says, these are the acts. The acts of the flesh are obvious. So the things that we want to do, church, the way we want to live naturally looks like this. The way we want to live naturally is we just want to sleep with anybody and everybody. I mean, it feels good, so do it, right? I mean, impurity, debauchery. Debauchery is you just give in to your senses. Whatever feels right, you just, you just go with that thing. Whatever feels good, you just lean into that thing. But he says that's, the acts of the flesh are, are idolatry, witchcraft, hatred. He starts getting into our temperament. And he says, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, uh, discord, um, dissensions, factions, and envy. And then he says, some of you are drinking too much. I didn't say drinking's a sin. I said, you're drinking too much. It's the, it's the parties. It's the orgies, the like, all of those kinds of things. That's the sinful nature that the enemy, we can have that any day of the week. That's the easy part. We can do that anytime. He says, I warn you, as I did before, that the, those who live this way are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that's the bad news, but the good news is God's working in us. His spirit is inside of us. We've been born of spirit. We've been born of the water, water baptism, and God has a paintbrush in his hand, and he's working transformation inside of us, and he's making us into who he wants us to be. How does he do it, Pastor Ben? The next verse Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, that when the Holy Spirit is in our lives, he begins to produce in us things like love and joy and peace and, and forbearance. That's a fancy word for patience. Some of you, your canvas is like this whole thing is God work on patience in my life, right? Just work on the patience. Work on patience. It's goodness, it's kindness, it's gentleness, it's faithfulness, it's self-control. Well, I can't control myself, Pastor Ben. 
But the fruit of the Spirit says you can. The fruit of the Spirit says you don't have to go to those places. You don't, it doesn't have to end up like this in your life. You can look different. You can act different. God can work inside of you. And he closes up like this. He says that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. How do I get to that point where God's producing the fruit in the, of the Spirit in me? Crucify the flesh. How do I do that? How, I mean, how, how does that work? Let's go back to the Old Testament. I, I love this psalm. A teacher in high school gave me this psalm, and I've remembered it ever since, that if you delight yourself in the Lord... He'll give you the desires of your heart. So, so how do you crucify the flesh? How do you say no to all of those things? How do you become transformed? You've got to fall more in love with Jesus. It's not about just stop doing something. Come on, that's the hard part. You can't just stop. Psychiatrists, therapists, they'll all tell you. You just can't stop. You've got to find something greater than those problems in your life. You've got to find... You've got to delight yourself in the Lord where I get to serve God. I get to come to church. I get to worship him. I get to let him work inside of me. And, and it's, this word delight is, uh, think about a, a bride on her wedding day. She's just giddy. She can't wait to be married. She can't wait to walk down the aisle. And that is what this word delight means, that you can't wait to be with God. You can't wait to spend time with him. You can't wait to have your, your, your Bible open in the morning. You can't wait to say, yes, God, whatever you want in my life. And when you do that, he gives you the desires, those, those desires that all of us have that I want to do right I want to live for you, God. I want to say yes. I want to be obedient. Those desires will become easier and easier the more you fall in love with him. This is good. Is this helping? And so it's not about don't do that anymore. Better stop that. It's about no, fall in love with Jesus. Get, get more in love with Jesus. Philippians, Paul says it this way. That, um, let, me sh- let me show you this real quick too. That he'll bring forth. Let's go back one. Go back one. That he'll bring forth your righteousness. So this is part of Psalm 37, that when you delight yourself in him, he's going to bring forth your righteousness. So those, the, the right living that begins to come forth out of your life, it's a fruit of you delighting yourself in the Lord. And other people are going to notice that, that, hey, that's not them. That must be a brush stroke of God. That must be a signature of God in their lives because they couldn't do it on their own. Philippians, Paul says it this way, that, that God is working in you. He's giving you the desire that I want to. God, I want to serve you. I want to, I want to be transformed. I want my life to bring you glory. And he gives you the power to do what pleases him. What pleases him. So we've, we've, we've got three applications here. You've, you've got get past who you were. Focus on who you're supposed to become. Give permission to God to change everything in your life. But number three is you've got to allow that change to begin now. Not tomorrow, not next week. Now, today. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that God wants to work in you. He wants to change you. He wants to mold you and make you. So as I, as I think about how to end up the service today. I, I think about how every week when we're planning services, we, we do everything we can to create moments for you, to have a moment with God, to have a moment in worship, maybe a moment in the message, to have a moment where you, where you have an encounter with God.
And um, the thing is uh, about a church service is that a church service was never designed uh, to change your life. Like a, a church service is supposed to be a catalytic moment where you go, I want that. God, I want you to work in me. I want you to change me. So it wasn't supposed to be routine. A church service wasn't supposed to be where we come in, we sing three songs, we fill out a connection card, hear a message, give in the offering, and go home. It's supposed to be a moment where we, let me, let me say it this way, a church service can't change you, but a church service can make you want to change. So this month, I don't want you to miss this moment that's designed to help you want to change. Think about 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Listen, you, you can change. You can be transformed. Paul says, but we all with unveiled face. I've read this hundreds of times, and I've always struggled to understand what this means until this week. With unveiled face. In other words, I can come before God without shame, without guilt, without condemnation. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. So when, when you look in a mirror, you always see your reflection, don't you? But he says here that you're beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. I want you to picture that you're looking into a mirror and what you see, though, is not who you are. What you're looking at in that mirror is not, it's not who you are, it's who you're supposed to be. That you're looking in this mirror and now you, you see the glory of God. You see a masterpiece in this mirror. Pastor Ben, you mean that I don't have to be angry anymore? No. You mean I don't have to, I don't have to be bound in sin anymore? No. You're looking at this masterpiece in the mirror. It's looking right back at you and you're, you're beginning to realize, oh, that's who I'm supposed to be. And you're being transformed into that same image that you see in the mirror, that masterpiece that you see. You're being transformed into that same image from glory to glory to glory that you don't have to be angry. You don't have to be bound in fear and worry and anxiety. You don't have to be addicted that God has a plan for your life. And when I think about that verse, it, re it reminded me of a story that I read recently about a lady named Marina, Marina Chapman. She was four years old in, in Bogota, Colombia, just outside. She was four years old when she was playing in her backyard. And what she remembers was a sweaty arm wrapping around her neck, placing a hood over her face. And she inhaled some sort of chemical that caused her to lose consciousness. She's four years old, so she doesn't have a great memory, but she remembers just trying to wake up, fighting to wake up, being dragged into the jungle, branches, ground, objects just hitting her body, cutting her. And when she is in the jungle, the abductor ties her up, ties her hands, and rips off her clothes and does what you know he did to her. And then he left her for dead, four years old. No one, no one around in the middle of nowhere later on she comes to she wakes up she, she, she's able to, to untie her hands to get her hands out of the rope she's able to take the, the hood off of her head she 
scared, she's lonely, she's crying, she's tired, she's hurting. Night falls. No one's rescued her yet. She thinks, somebody, for sure, somebody's going to come rescue me. Nobody comes. The next day, same feelings. The sounds of the jungle. She's afraid, she's scared, she's tired and lonely, hungry. Nobody comes. Night two. On day three, something interesting happens. A group of monkeys see her. All this is documented, by the way, by National Geographic and in her book. They see her, and at first, they're hostile towards her. They're, they're hitting at her. They're scratching her. They're biting at her. And they realize eventually she's not a threat. And so, after they've gathered food for the day, they leave some for her. And that's how she survives. Day three. The monkeys gave her something to eat. Nobody ever came to rescue her. And so she lived for the next five years as a monkey. Just wherever they went, she went. She, she learned to harvest food the way they harvested it, eat like they eat, drink like they drink, climb trees. She would, she would just live with the monkeys for five years until one day she's high up in the canopy and she's looking down on the jungle floor and she sees a shimmering light she's interested so she climbs down the tree and she goes over to this shining object and she picks it up and it's looking right back at her she she throws it to the ground she's, she's scared and after a while she realizes that it didn't move it must not be harmful and she gets the confidence to come back over she picks it up and it's a For the first time in five years, she realizes, I'm not one of them. I don't know what I am, but I'm, I'm not that. And she sees herself as what she could be. Today, the rest of the story is she lives in England. She's a grandmother. And her favorite thing to do is climb trees. <laughs> uh, What this moment is supposed to be, is supposed to be your mirror moment. The scripture, the message that we gave you, the songs that we gave you today is supposed to be a mirror moment where you look into that mirror and you say, I'm not supposed, that's, that's a masterpiece. I'm not supposed to be living like that. God has more for my life. See, God, I, God never intended for me to be an immoral, prom promiscuous prankster as a teenager. He always intended me to use my gift and to use my abilities and my talents to stand on a platform, to preach the gospel, to help somebody. And he has a gift and a passion and a talent for you too. There's somebody that he's called you to be. He wants you to be. And so this is your mirror moment right now. When you look at that mirror, what do you see? Are you looking at what you are or what you used to be or are you seeing what you could be? God's taking that brush and he's working the brush stroke of transformation in you. Do you believe that? Come on, let's thank God today. Let's praise God. Let's thank him. Come on. Let's thank God for the message. Would you bow your heads with me? And, and uh, I'm just going to get straight to the point today. 
some of, some of you here today, um, it's time for you to get out of the trees. It's time for you to realize your identity, who you are in Christ. It's time for you to realize you're not one of them, that God has a, he's created you to be a masterpiece, that you're a new creation. And you're living, you're living in the old. You're living in the, in the used to. You need to step into the but now. God has a plan and he has a purpose and he wants to bring salvation to your life. If you're far from God and you're living, hanging out in the trees, it's time for you to come down and realize who you are in Christ. And if I'm talking to you on the count of three, I want you to boldly slip up your hand and say, I'm ready to go all in with Jesus. Come on, join the six people in the early service this morning. Come on, one, two, three. I'm ready to go all in, Pastor Ben. Come on, slip up your hand if that's you. Slip up your hand all across this place. I'm ready to go all in. One, two. Anybody else say, that's me. Three, four, five, six. Who else would say, that's me, Pastor Ben. I'm ready to go all in. I'm going, I'm going head over heels. Thank you. Seven, eight. All in with Jesus. Nine. Thank you. I'm so proud of you. Ten. I see you. Come on. Let's say this prayer together. Say this out loud all across the room. Let's confess Jesus is Lord today. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. Will you forgive me? Will you cleanse me? Will you make me new? Give me a fresh start. A new beginning. I I surrender. I commit my life to you. Will you be my Lord, my Savior? Help me to live for you. From this day forward, I will do what you call me to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's thank God today. Let's give God praise.